0: What's happening? You just had some lunch? Uh, no, I, I've only snacked. Uh, my day is a bit belated. <laughs> belated? My day is in general running belatedly. Nice. Um, <laughs> good, good adjective. Sure. Um, and I'm only snacking because I didn't have time to prep my lunch before recording. Um, my question to you about snacks, because my, my snack currently is a is a, is a a mix of things. It's not just one item. It has been several items put in a box and sugar. Uh,
1: sorry, just at that point, I was opening an Iron Brew can and it sprayed on my face.
0: Nice. <laughs> when you've got a, a, a mixed snack of any kind, do you have like a system for eating said snack? Uh,
1: yes, I do. Well, give me an example. What's your system? Give me an example first, because I can think of at
0: least two that I would uh, I would share. I'll tell you the current snack that I'm having it is um, dried mango pieces okay. and coconut f- shavings or coconut <laughs> Interesting. flakes. What would your system for that snack be?
1: Eating them essentially an alternate fashion so that by the end of said snack, you have one piece of mango and one piece of coconut left.
0: That's how I would do it. Uh, wh- wait, which one are you eating? Like, what's the, uh, what, is it coconut then mango or is it mango y- then yes. coconut? Yes, coconut then mango. Why why mango second? So is it because the last bite is going to be the, the the mango?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because mango is the, the you know the tasty sweet dessert, whereas co- coconut's a bit different. It's a bit like the kind of thing you put in a curry. Yeah. So it's it's less of a dessert thing.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't value coconut very much as a snack, but I'm eating it anyway. Um, so my system is different. Okay. <laughs> I ate all the coconut. Oh. Because I just didn't want any of the coconut, <laughs> and I decided I will eat them. There won't be any anymore. And okay. then I can enjoy the mango. Right, right.
1: Okay, well the thing is, I wouldn't have picked either of those as snack foods anyway. <laughs> you don't like mango? Because well, I can eat it, but in the way that you know, there's certain things I'll eat which I'll do it because I know it's good for me, other that rather than actively enjoying it. For example, what? bananas. I don't really enjoy eating bananas because of the texture. Right. You know, usually I will and this sounds incredibly childish, will go halfers. On a banana with with Graham because I can't eat the entire thing. It's the texture. It's nasty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I got you. Whereas when you said like snack eating methods, I instantly thought of Skittles. Right. And the way I would do that Valid. would be I would have all my colours and then as I'm eating them, mm-hmm. I'm whittling them down so every colour has the same amount. Which I know sounds a little bit psychopathic, but no. it's
0: what I it's what I do. It's basically the same. Yeah, I, I get that. Um. But you don't, like, hate one of the colors so much that you just eat that one indiscriminately no, and try no. to finish it so it so it doesn't ruin the final few. I,
1: I know, for example, there are certain people... Which is
0: a bit more psychotic. ...who will see
1: the yellow fruit pastel and will just either chuck it or, as you say... That's mad. ...eat them all in a one and be like, you are what, okay, I'm done, and now I've got the enjoyable remainders of, of of fruit pastels left, which, to be honest, are not as tasty as they used to be.
0: No. Same as Marty's. They're vegan, though. Um, oh, they are. But I, I feel like the the science of which fruit pastel is the worst is objective, it, and it's not yellow. <laughs> no, it's yeah. I feel well... like I feel like the green fruit pastel is so obviously the worst that when I hear other people <laughs> not liking other colors, it melts my brain a little. Especially people who who like don't like the purple ones and stuff like that.
1: Oh, I mean, people who don't like purple fruit pastels are just wrong. Like that's a fact.
0: That's what it feels like, but I think their opinions are as legitimate as mine when it comes uh, to fruit pastels. But it's also the fact that I believe
1: certain culinary experiences you have, particularly as children or young people, Mm -hmm. will then affect how you view certain flavors and foods when you're an adult. So the lemon, the, the dislike of the yellow fruit pastel from our family comes from an experience where one Sunday... Which was, of course, you would always have a Sunday Sunday roast, Sunday dinner. Yeah. One Sunday, right. my mum decided to experiment and make lemon chicken. Right. And yes. w- my younger brother, Chris, is, is scarred from this. He is brought up, he'll bring it up on an annual basis at this rate. <laughs> and it's because it clearly was so horrendous. I'll be honest, it wasn't very tasty. Would I have it again? No. Is it enough to put me off yellow fruit pastels for life? No, but for some people, it would. Yeah,
0: okay, 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 I got it. Oh. I was just, but yeah, we're talking more about the system. So if I hated <laughs> yellow fruit
1: pastels, I would eat those first. Okay, this is a lot of chat about uh, how to eat snacks, but what's, what's happening in life? Are you... uh You still being chased by the taxman, or are you kind of more chill at the moment?
0: Uh, uh, I don't quite know. I mean, that
1: sounded like the taxman had found you with that noise. I'm
0: figuring that one out. And no, I'm not behind on taxes. I'm just trying to stay ahead of taxes. That's the difficulty.
1: The difficulty I have is that I'll have like a nice little amount saved up, and then my car needs replaced brakes and new tires. And suddenly, I'm like, all right, well into the piggy
0: bank I go, Yeah, buy tax money, we'll come back to you, we'll deal with that bridge when we build it. Yeah, my, my piggy bank is currently going towards all the little fees and costs of, of getting a mortgage. Oh uh, gross. It's not pleasant. I, I, I thought I had it's robbery. plenty, and I do have enough, but like, I'd like to just use that for my taxes, not for my paying people to make a fortune off of my future money. Yeah, it does actually take us back to uh, th-
1: things you would do for money, or things you did for money for very, very little. I remember my first
0: oh, yeah. journalism
1: yeah. job mm-hmm. was, I think, six pounds seventy an hour, which <laughs> oh, at something. the time, being a, a graduate of twenty-two, okay, fair enough, not great, but it's something. But the funny thing was that I was uh, my boss viewed me as full-time freelance, so despite the fact I didn't have a contract, ah. I couldn't just decide oh, I'm not going to work next week. It was, you are expected to be here and read the news for the people of Dumbarton and Clyde Bank. Right. And uh, I I mean, I'm sure the 14 listeners we had wouldn't have been that heartbroken if they didn't have the news on one particular day.
0: But that was the way it went. So was that technically like a zero hours contract or is it a different thing? It's kind of, yeah. Like uh, (laughs) it was, we, we want you to be here. Or is it just like taking advantage of a freelancer as in like, hey, you've only got this gig so long as you show up every day. Remember that.
1: I think it was a combination of that and also just a bit of a rogue radio station Whoa. who actually no longer exists. Pirate radio. So that tells you all you need to know. I wish it was pirate radio. Pirate radio is really cool. Is this akin to pirate radio? or I mean, I don't know what you mean when you say that. Do you mean like people out in the
0: high seas? Well, pirate radio is like people who don't have a license, yeah. Radio is super, super controlled in the UK. What you're allowed to broadcast, uh, what what frequencies you can broadcast on. So there's loads of pirate radio stations. And I say loads. It's kind of hard to find them because they only broadcast in specific areas on specific frequencies. Okay. And I think it's just some people's hobby to try and be radio for a bit somewhere, which is kind of cool to me. Subversive. Uh, You were on my uh, student radio show back in the day. Once. I was terrible, yeah. (laughs) I've not listened back to it. That's when we first realized that I should never, like be a part of any sort of a setup of people talking into microphones. Sorry, I thought you were
1: going the opposite direction with that. I thought you were saying it was the day we realized we had unbelievable chemistry and we decided to start a podcast. That would have been nicer. I like. I was racking my brains for this the other day. Someone asked why we started the show. In fact, do you know why it was? Do you know why? Because, James, uh-huh. I've been invited to speak to students again for a second year
0: running Whoa. about
1: how to do podcasting.
0: Oh, what? Same place? See, yeah, same place. They, call, they called you back after having heard the podcast? Clearly
1: desperate for uh, some... I'm kidding. Clearly they heard our fantastic production values and high-value entertainment and thought, this person knows what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Let's let's get them to, <laughs> to talk to students and get even
0: more wonderful podcasts into the world. How did we start? I think I was just like... I- we, I, I think I just said I wanted to start a podcast, <laughs> and that was it. It was born, and you were ve- you were immediately very keen. Yeah, well, I think it's because I'd done the podcast thing as a
1: student, and it had been very successful. You know, that first podcast I did in 2011, we got 20,000 followers on SoundCloud within I think two months because we were talking about European football. Yeah, it's a it's a legit topic. Precisely, and at that time. I don't think anyone else really had something as niche as that, but in 2021, pretty sure every niche has been niched.
0: Yeah, the niche that we have is that nobody else has my opinion or your opinion. That's very niche. Yeah, uh, no one else has our our friend circle or our voices. Exactly. Yeah, nobody else can like recruit their uh, record breaking size family to give them <laughs> <laughs> at least some listens per week. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Okay, well, welcome to this uh, cult of a podcast, which is Seesaw (laughs) Parade, episode 261. I'm Colin, and he is James. I am. We may or may not be related. Thank you very much for listening. This is your new favorite podcast, Scotland's least dull podcast, with the longest running season one of any entertainment slash news slash politics slash occasionally sport and mainly... Great chat oh. in the history
0: of the world of podcasts, even since 2011, Can't believe it. when I was just a young, naive thing. And that's like, all of those accolades are accredited. They've been signed by the officials.
1: Do, do you know what? I think I found a, a website that we were that we are streaming on. I think it's called Reason. What? Reason.fm. What? And they have, a, I don't know. These, there's dozens of places where people can you know, listen to the podcast. Right. Most people go on Spotify, some people go SoundCloud, but there's loads of other places as well. Yeah. So this place has clearly taken an RSS feed from, I believe, probably our SoundCloud, where the description <laughs> of this podcast includes the phrase, award-winning. <laughs> now, clearly no one has ever looked into this because... I'm pretty sure I wrote that a few years ago and have just left it in an attempt to make us sound even better than we are. So can we give ourselves an award and that that then makes sense? It's Or rather, it's true?
0: I mean, yeah. Right. How about you give us an award and then I also give us an award and then... I'll second your one, and you second my one. <laughs>
1: right, so uh, we'll, we'll come up with a, a competition name. You know, I did actually look at the British Podcast Awards and thought, hey, m- maybe maybe we should put that uh, our own show And then I
0: thought, actually, no, you know what? That's a terrible idea. <laughs> There's, like, thousands of podcasts. Award-entering podcasts. Many of which have legitimate topics to talk about and actual flavour.
1: You hear these, like, podcasts, and it's just the most harrowing stories of people fleeing a war-torn country trees and their school buses getting stopped at military checkpoints and people walking up and down with machine guns and people being dragged off the bus. I'm sitting there listening to this and thinking, this is awful and incredible and this stuff should be winning awards, not where we discuss how to eat snacks (laughs) in what order, but hey-ho. We, we, we've got this box
0: cornered. It is our own little box. We, no, yeah, no, we, we've, got, we've got a little bit of the market, and that's what matters. <laughs> I think it's very good that we're able to produce some form of a show every week or two... Every week! ...that is valid without putting in 60 man-hours of work per person. <laughs> I would love to be able to s- commit full-time plus job to making a very good podcast... Um, and producing episodes with le- legit intent oh, and purpose and lasting, lasting effect. But I have a job and <laughs> not enough money.
1: Yeah, and we still haven't started a Patreon, but, you know, we're considering it. Both of us have the tax <laughs> man to, to pay and, yeah. you know, the free the freelance world has gone awfully quiet since I went on holiday. So uh, it happens. may have to start selling my socks on Craigslist because, there,
0: again, there is a market for that. There's a market for everything. So if you're interested in my used socks, get in touch. Yeah. You may ask for them to be washed or unwashed.
1: (laughs) Well, if you want to get in touch with the show, you can do at CeaseOperate on Twitter. And you can also email CeaseOperate at gmail.com. James, I opened our inbox just before the show. We had 10 emails. Wow. All of which were from bots on SoundCloud asking if they wanted to see... um, certain parts of their uh, robotical anatomy?
0: You know what? I would. A-, a robot anatomy? I think I'd learn something from it. Hey, want to see my giant SD card? <laughs> Why is it giant? I don't Because it's, it's got 128 <laughs> SD gigs. SD cards are the inverse. You're, the smaller they are, the more impressive they are. Okay. Want to see my tiny SD
1: card? It's really impressive. Yeah. Okay. Well difficult to segue from that onto very serious news, but we're gonna do it anyway. Let's crack on. Let's talk about...
0: (laughs) Want to see my tiny effort to show respect before we enter the stories that we're (laughs) gonna talk about? Here it is.
1: Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about Afghanistan, everyone.
0: Yeah, that landed even worse than I expected.
1: Oh, man. Okay, well, cease Braid is renowned for handbrake turns, so let us go screeching into this handbrake one. Handbrake turns might be award-winning. <sighs> I mean, this is the kind of stuff that people are listening out for. Anyway, let's talk about what's happening in, in Kabul. This is an ongoing situation this afternoon. Various governments across the world are telling their citizens to stay away mm-hmm. from the airport after warnings that there could be militant attacks by the Taliban at the gates of Kabul airport. Yep. Uh, there has apparently been an explosion in the last uh, couple of hours with unconfirmed reports of at least 10 people dying. Yeah. The incident is said to have taken place outside the Abbey Gate, which is where American and British forces are. Uh, U.S. says there have been some casualties, the number is currently unknown. And this has been coming for the last few days. We had the Forces Minister, James Heapy, who was mm-hmm. telling uh, the media that the threat was severe and potentially imminent. Uh, currently, yeah, these, these details are still thin on the ground. But what we can say is that a number of countries have had their final flights out of Kabul airports today. So the likes of Belgium, Denmark, and the Netherlands are now gone. If you are a national from any of those countries and you're still in Afghanistan, then the last flights have departed. So... This, James, again, so much has happened in the last seven days or so. And ultimately, it is deteriorating by the second or by the minute. And the the U.S. point of view is that August 31st mm-hmm. is the deadline to get out. And after
0: that, they are done. And it does not seem like they're going back on that. There doesn't seem to be any flexibility to the, the deadline, the deadline they do seem to be trying to be in communication with the new uh, leaders of the nation, so to speak. Yep. Um, Trying to, trying to um, make it easier for them to meet that deadline because, well, it's kind of hard to get the deadline if all the airports are under severe threat and nobody can really go anywhere. Um, I got to say, the situation there is uh, about what people expected, but we all had our fingers crossed that, it will be better than this. It does turn out that when the new holders of the power in a country are a mostly uh, untrained and unaccountable uh, militia recruit force, things don't end up so safe and so good. And lots of promises are already being broken or already hints of being broken. And generally, things are looking pretty bad. And Biden's taking a lot of flack for it because yep. he's kind of sticking with his guns. He's saying we are out and we're leaving. And... There's respect in that. I respect that he's sticking with it, but I still feel like there's a lot more we could be doing um, to support people in their efforts to leave. Um, that goes for the US and the UK I, I, in general. We're we're doing we're doing a, a bit, but not not quite as much as we could. I think.
1: So, so let's uh, delve further into first of all what's actually happening in the country before we look at the political side of things. So. This story about this attack at the airport will continue to unfold in the next few hours and days. But by all accounts right now, it's uh, late on Thursday afternoon. It does appear like there has been a a serious attack at the airport. Uh, A Taliban spokesperson said at least 11 people had died. uh, But I suspect that number will go up. So we were speculating last week just at the time the Taliban were holding a press conference. I believe their first one ever that uh, it was too early to say whether this was a legitimate aim for, well, legitimacy, or if it was just a front for essentially getting back in power and then reverting to the way things were. And I would say that it's the latter.
0: It's leaning towards it by a long way.
1: Certainly. We've seen stories in the last week of uh, people being, well, the Taliban going door to door, And either beating people who were found to be working with the UN or NATO or any of the allied forces, uh, as well as uh, people being whipped in the street. We've had stories of people who have been executed because of their links to the likes of uh, the British or the US Army. And by all accounts, it does appear, as you say, James, that the Taliban are leaning towards what they used to be known for, except this time... They've changed in that they know how to speak to cameras, or they they are more savvy when it comes to dealing with
0: even social media. Yeah, they've um, there's been a bit of an uproar because they they've managed to keep a few of their Twitter accounts. Um, yeah, the uproar is mostly based around the fact that people don't know what terms and conditions mean. They, I, as far as I'm aware, the accounts that have been kept up are not breaking any of Twitter's rules, and therefore I do find it kind of hard to justify why you want to have them have them deleted when communication is key to actually resolving things and i am both happy and then also like a bit uh annoyed that the communication systems are going into place because uh, yep there is there is a lot of communication from us leaders uk leaders eu leaders all of this towards the new people in power um and but they're also claiming that they're not legitimizing them. And it kind of feels like most of the politicians in our side of the uh, conflict, so to speak, are just kind of hiding away from doing anything big so it doesn't bite them. Biden's taking the big hit and nobody else kind of wants to follow up and take a hit for the sake of yep. doing things well or doing things efficiently. Okay, And um, the UK's messaging and the whole thing has been pretty messy. Um and it's good as there are, there have been many a story of our uh, soldiers and whatever who are still there doing great work and trying to protect people um, and trying to extract people, which I think is important, even if we shouldn't have really been in the first place. Um, but it is key that we actually do keep the communication open. And even if they are, as the Taliban, just pretending that things are going to be OK, the longer we can keep that charade in place, the longer the peace lasts, the more people can, can get out the better, in my opinion. And then if they drop the charade, consequences can happen then. Right. Just just to add some more facts here, Canada
1: have also announced that their last flight has left Kabul today. Mm. Uh, The French military are expected to have their last plane leaving tomorrow, which is Friday. And uh, yes, the UK have said, despite the fact that Boris was asking for the US to extend the deadline, it looks like the two of them will both be essentially running flights out until the, the end of the month.
0: But yeah, which is a commitment I appreciate.
1: If the situation continues to deteriorate at the airport, that will prove challenging because, by all accounts, there seems to be thousands
0: and thousands of people attempting yeah. to leave, attempting to flee. Which is like n- unsurprising when you suddenly have the occupying forces leaving uh, the area and trying to extract everybody who they're pally with. Of course, there's going to be... Um, countless other people who are also terrified and also wanting to leave. And we really should be doing more to get those people out. We should be trying to get anybody who is in fear out of a, a place that they no longer want to stay in. It is a shame that a lot of the rhetoric floating about is that we shouldn't be accepting the refugees or whatever because, you know, they've chosen their lot by, by being there this long or, or whatever other stupid arguments people are making. Um, the world should be doing everything it can to help the greatest proportion of people that it can. Um, And especially since there is some form of organised resistance against the new um, power structure, there are people who were generals and fighters um, for the Afghan government before who have now organised and uh, have occupied several areas and are fighting back. So it's not going to be a peaceful place, especially not if the resistances keep keep on going. We've seen citizens resisting. We're seeing um, armed armed uh, organizations resisting. So there are going to be casualties and fights and danger and all these things. So uh, get everybody out. We should be taking them all in. And I, I believe um, Scotland is trying to take in everybody that the UK takes in as refugees. And yep. similar things are being said from certain states in America who are willing to take on uh, the support. And it's, like it's great that the UK government is setting a target and is also going to be funding anybody who comes in and kind of providing the money that is needed to support that, but the numbers aren't big enough. <laughs> I would never I, I would never think there's su- such a thing as too many um, people helped in this kind of a situation.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's funny because the All Lives Matter crowd have been awfully quiet. When it comes to how many refugees to take in, despite they the often, fact they
0: often are, yeah.
1: Despite the fact that at last count there were over six hundred thousand empty homes in England and around about two hundred thousand homeless, then uh, yeah, this idea of oh well, we've got to help our own, well, yeah. you can actually do both. You've
0: got plenty of space for everyone. We've also got countless low income jobs that people in the UK with their inherited debts and uh, inherited responsibilities can't afford to take up so there's loads of jobs completely unfilled and are, that are just getting deleted because the businesses are all closing down. Yeah, We can support so many people.
1: Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the, the jobs aspect in the UK and uh, various supply chains which are breaking down later in the program. Uh, yeah. One uh, one other point I learned this week, which was my ignorance, which was eventually, uh, oh, I read... Something looked it up, and it turned out it was true. All right. The refugees don't get any benefits. Did They don't get anything no. other than, I believe, it's £5.17 a day, which is about 20, 30, 34, 35 quid to live on a week. And that's it. And they have 28 days to find themselves accommodation. And uh, yeah, that's
0: that's the deadline. That's as long as they get. Yeah, the, the, the system here is really, really um, stacked against people who need the help. They don't get enough support, in my opinion. Uh, they well, should... it's, it's particularly
1: with people who who say, "Oh, these refugees are just coming in to to take our benefits and scrounge off the system."
0: Yeah, to take our take our bene- Yeah, they just want to come and have a freebie. They don't get any freebies. They're literally
1: unable to do that because of the way this uh, the government system works in the UK.
0: Yeah, and it goes beyond refugees; just any immigrants in general, even pre-Brexit, um, any immigrant from the EU if they didn't find a job and had a sustainable plan after three months, we could have we could, we could could boot them right out of the country. <laughs> there, there, there's a whole bunch of lies um, about this system in the UK and how it helps foreigners way more than they deserve. I don't think it helps them nearly enough. I don't think even if all of those lies were true, it was enough help. Um, but it's no surprise that the likes uh, of Farage or anybody else who was interested in um, getting rid of foreigners, is lying about how much of a burden they are on, on the country. They are not. Um, refugees, immigrants in general actually end up providing more for the country than someone of born of equal means within the borders, just because of their the situation they find themselves in. They end up paying more in tax and they end up, uh, being being more of a profit for the nation who took them in, and this is generally true across uh, across the world. Uh, you look to countries like Germany, who have taken in huge numbers of uh, asylum seekers, refugees, and immigrants. Uh, all of well, the, for the majority of which ended up being m- massive boons to the country. Okay, um, but all of all all we get told about is how. Their benefits scroungers and how they all just join the gangs and the the feud cases of refugees and stuff causing harm or mm-hmm. blasted out headlines across the across the sky. Okay. Let's talk about the political side of things.
1: In the last few days, we had the Foreign Secretary Dominic Raab rejecting calls to quit uh. after claims he should have personally intervened to help evacuate Afghan interpreters for the British Army. So Mr. Raab was told to phone his Afghan counterpart for urgent support to get these people out the country, but it's understood because he was on holiday, he told a junior minister to do it who didn't because he knew that if he phoned up his Afghan counterpart, he would have seen the fact it came from a junior minister and not taken the call. Right. So opposition parties uh, opposition parties say this was an error of judgment. It's put people's lives at risk and asked uh, in Downing Street if he would resign. Mr. Rab said... No. Oh, yeah, no. And, uh, yeah, this was after newspaper reports had shown the Foreign Secretary relaxing on a beach in Crete on the same day that the Taliban
0: entered Kabul. So there's your British Foreign Secretary right on the ball. Well, yeah, and it's no surprise. It's no surprise how uncaring the um, foreign sec was. It's no surprise that he won't quit after being so uncaring and so callous. Um, there's nothing... I don't think there's anything... Um, that anybody in cabinet could do that would make them quit at this point. They've realized that they've got the populist vote solidly locked down. They've got the vote of the people who can be lied to and manipulated to just continue to vote for them. So they don't need to quit because none of it matters. They've realized this for a long time. So Rab just decided... His holiday was more important than a crisis, and he knew it wouldn't affect him in the polls, and it wouldn't affect his future uh, career as it stands in the parties, so he called it right. Uh, I think it was a huge error and a big mistake morally, but hey, he's going to carry on in his job. The thing is, they
1: all knew, well, we all knew, and particularly in the inner echelons of government, they would have known how quickly the situation was deteriorating in Afghanistan, and the fact that the government was falling apart in the country as well, yeah. that was well known. So why did he still go on holiday? That baffles me.
0: It's it's mad to me that they know so much more than us and they know so much more than us, so much faster than us. And he still didn't do anything um, <laughs> until it was too late and then... Sometime afterwards, they released some press pictures of him looking very serious and on a phone and in, in, in a chair behind a desk and doing his job with rigor. Um, so, so they just know that they can get the easy recovery. Um, it's mad that he did it. I don't understand the, the, the logic. Um, I don't think anybody ever will. But it, it doesn't matter in the long run. It all, well, it doesn't matter to him. What matters is that it caused grievance to I don't know how many people uh, in the crisis, which is huge, and he should resign for it. But nothing's going to make these people resign, which includes the likes of um, forwarding the crisis line to a, a, a laundry company. <laughs> have you seen that one? Uh, no, I haven't. You have to fill me on there. Goodness. I believe it was um, Pretty Patel's department. They set up an emergency contact line for people mm-hmm. with concerns over... Afghanistan, or like relatives in Afghanistan, like a helpline and a crisis line. Um, And they set the auto forwarder wrong. And it was forwarding calls to a laundromat, basically. Uh, I believe it was a laundromat, like a cleaning company. Wow. Uh, For I don't know how how many days, it was several days before it was reported and found out that many people were getting forwarded to the voicemail for some business in Coventry. No one's going to resign. Nobody's going to be held accountable. Indeed. And uh, we talked
1: about that before. It's the fact that it doesn't matter what happens. It is uh, once in a once-in-a-blue-moon occasion if a minister does yeah. actually resign nowadays. But
0: then, But then think about the inverse, where Sturgeon once was accused of maybe breaching ministerial code. And before the case even came to its close the media had decided that it was time for her to resign and Keir Starmer had decided that she needed to resign. And it's mad to me, the, the, the stark difference, because it shows that there is accountability when the machine wants there to be. It's just the machine doesn't want accountability to land on the lap of the Tories. Even if they put out little soft headlines that say, like, people are calling for Rab to resign, they don't actually say it themselves. Yeah. Whereas when, <laughs> when it came to an inconclusive a case with sturgeon the headlines had decided the system had decided yep. and i'm sure it will again as soon as somebody else who the who the establishment and who the machine doesn't favor kind of crosses the line even a tiny bit boris has once again been found to have breached ministerial code by flying um the private jet of the government or whatever on the taxpayers funds yep. to party business and you don't use taxpayer funds on party business but he did it breached ministerial code I haven't even heard what you said about it because it was made such a small deal of. I didn't even hear it happened. It's mad.
1: Okay, let's uh, move on. Let's talk about COVID in Scotland. Uh, We've now hit a record number of COVID cases. Hooray! And it's partly being fueled (sighs) by the return of schools
0: after the summer I mean, holiday. Yeah, if, yeah. looking at the numbers, it is mad the spike in cases yeah. for the teens. It's scary. So, so that's what we're looking
1: at. It's the Deputy First Minister, John Swinney. He says that this new data, which was 5,021 new cases of the virus, uh, wow. was largely down to a big jump in the number of under-19s who have been infected. So, The numbers today, again, pretty high. It's Tuesday. Uh, Tuesday and Wednesday's numbers, though, which were the, the record breakers, the highest of the pandemic so far. And uh, on Tuesday, the uh, the figures themselves actually led to Nicola Sturgeon, the First Minister, mm-hmm. warning that the country was at another fragile and pivotal moment, adding that she could not rule out the possibility of some restrictions being reintroduced. On the back of this, though, if you look at the levels of serious illness and death, they are still remaining relatively low, the number of deaths in the UK this week have been around about the 100, which is, of course, still far too high. If you're looking at the peaks of flu season in December and January most years, that's about 300 to 400. However, this is, as you say, James, largely now happening in young people. So almost half of the cases in uh, the last few days have been under that 19 age bracket. So this is clearly what happens when all the schools go back and uh, kids mix with one another again. So 16 to 17-year-olds being offered the vaccine, but clearly still in the minority.
0: Yeah, yeah. And the, the numbers do matter in, in the sense that not it's not only. They are making a big deal of it being like, hey, the teenagers are the ones getting it. So it's like kind of okay, really. They won't be too right. and I make sure that my, it still sucks a lot and it's probably going to kill a few of them and it's probably going to give them uh, horrible conditions for the for a few of them. But you know what? Sure, the teens, they don't matter. And the, uh, the early 20s, they don't matter. But hey, the case rates are going up in the 75 to 84s. The case rates are going up in the 85 pluses. Not a lot, but a little. uh, And that's scary. And if it continues, I wouldn't be surprised if we see more restrictions come in. We did talk about recently that maybe restrictions wouldn't come back because our death, our case rate to death rate Uh isn't transitioning so strongly. So while we do have a case rate per 100K that is in line with the likes of the U.S., our deaths per hundred k is still around about half of what you're seeing in the US. Right, right. So there, there is that flexibility for the government, both the UK and the Scottish leaders, to kind of toe toe a wee bit of a more casual uh, direction for when they want to bring in restrictions and what they will be. Uh, but I don't, I don't like it. I don't like the trend. It is it's concerning, pretty scary, and the death rate is still high enough that it would have mattered a lot. If it wasn't for how high the deaths were before, this death rate would be scary right? on a national level. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's just because we've seen such high numbers that now it's like, oh, well, only seven people per day. It's like, what? Seven people per day dying in Scotland from a thing that can be prevented? That's mad. Yeah. So the numbers, as you say, are continuing
1: upwards or certainly around the 4.5 to 5k, and it will be a little while. Before that settles, I'm sure it will either continue to go up, but eventually when it does go down, we're talking weeks, not yeah. days, yeah. before anything is, is put under control. I, mean,
0: we, I didn't consider the last rise to have been dealt with. As you were saying, it was down a bit and it plateaued. That was yeah. true for Scotland and the UK. We were just in a double bump for this uh, this instance of post-lockdown case rates. And hey, credit to us. Uh, Israel, having had a very successful vaccine program, is is having a case rate twice as high as ours. Uh, there are loads of countries out there who are having similar trouble. So we are not just the only massive failures. So, hey, well done us. Um, but my goodness, we need to be holding people to account, which the Scottish government is going to be able to do because they have announced that they're going to be having an inquiry, an independent inquiry, unlike the UK, I believe, who haven't confirmed it yet.
1: So, so I believe that was confirmed for early next year where they'll be talking to uh, families of those who died as well as, as you say, kind of all the the movers and shakers in terms of decision-making. Mm-hmm. So in terms of new restrictions, I am unsure Yeah. because, as you say, James, we've talked about this before, it's largely at the moment in young people and because they care less, and I think the public as a whole... Cares less if it's kids getting it, even with the the threat of long COVID, which is still affecting around almost half a million people in the UK. It's terrifying. Because
0: it's not death, then I think most people are like, all right, it's fine. Life can continue. Melts my brain. Like, even two weeks off of, even two weeks of being a bit unwell. Is bad enough for me to care about and a whole nation getting the thing.
1: Yeah, so precisely over, let's say, over the the course of a month, you're looking at over a hundred thousand people in Scotland catching COVID again. You know, both those who are unvaccinated and those who are double vaxed at this point. Yeah. So to me, it's a it's a question, and that's a lot of people over the the course of a month. So the question is, what's what's the the general public's feeling over continuing as? life currently is, with the sacrifice that a 100,000 people in the country are still going to get COVID every month, some of whom will die, and a bigger chunk of them will get long COVID. And I'll be honest, I don't think there is any appetite for that. And people will just plow on and say, look, it's schools. The rest of the world can continue. Pubs, restaurants, gigs, workplaces, offices, that stuff's got to continue because that's for the adults, and the adults are fine, which is not true. But there is, as we've talked about, a larger proportion of youngsters getting COVID right now than there was at any other time during the pandemic.
0: Yeah, I I think that you're right in that people are going to be less empathetic over this one. They're not going to see the numbers and be scared of them because it's not converting to deaths. They're not going to see another lockdown as worth it because it's not going to maybe be affecting them, especially people who have um being double vaxed might feel like they are immune to the thing perfectly which we're learning isn't quite true and is going to be increasingly less true over time until booster shots happen and even then it's not going to be perfect um and i think there's a lot of people who are seeing uh, how the rest of the world is handling it and is just wanting to copy paste copy paste the american way of just Hey, do what you want. Copy paste the the European way, which is a little a little bit similar, really. Um, so I think that while the whole world is tending towards just freedom at the cost of people's health, the public in general are going to align with that because that's what people do. And it kind of scares me. And it makes me sad because um, once again, <laughs> we don't need to be dealing with this for this long. We could we could have at every step handled this better. But my goodness, double-dosey vaccines are getting less uh, less resistance to the to the virus. That's scary.
1: Yeah, I did see that this week. And the thing is, experts said this would happen. Yeah. And so I suspect there will be boosters
0: on the way. Boosters on the way. I know way. the UK
1: bought an extra 35 million doses in the last week. So yeah. that,
0: to me, is a sign of, yeah, you're going to need another one. Yeah, there, there are patents coming out for booster versions of the vaccine. There's patents in process for combining covid with flu um, jabs as well so it's like an all-in-one for far more convenience um so like yeah that's great we're gonna have it but come on come on we need to we need to at least have a greater percentage of the population double vexed if we're going to be aiming for like 60 to 80 percent immunity for those who are vaccinated right we currently have 60 something percent of scotland with two vaccines, if if only sixty something percent of those people have uh, have legitimate immunity, it's kind of scarily low. <laughs>
1: Okay, James, from bad news to some more bad news. And uh, let's talk about the fact that supply chains across the UK Mm -hmm. are beginning to collapse. And this is largely down to the knock-on effect of the massive number of vacancies currently being seen amongst HGV drivers, the long-haul drivers who, it turns out, many of whom were from Europe, were from the continent. Oh, wow. And here we are. I believe it. Several months after uh, Brexit and when things have begun to pick up again, that we're beginning to see the cracks in the system reappear. So we had this week McDonald's, the latest eatery, to announce that actually they had run out of things. Mm-hmm. And this was down to the amount of, or the rather the, uh, the shortage, the lack of, of HGV drivers the lack
0: of, yeah.
1: and materials coming from uh, from the continent, so they were short of milkshakes. They were out of milkshakes. They were also out of certain brands of bottled uh, juice as well. But we've also seen in the last few days, Nando's, who've had to close 50 of their stores across the UK because they've run out of chicken, including my local yep. at Silverburn. It's it's closed. Oh, we've had uh, we've had Greg's as well, which has had to discontinue some. Menu items, KFC, have had to discontinue some yeah, yeah. menu items yeah. as
0: well. And supermarkets are stacking those shelves tactically. Things are a bit more spaced out to make the shelves seem more full. Yeah, we. I believe we are the chief exec of the
1: co-op. Yesterday, saying that the food shortages across the co-op stores in the, the UK were the worst he had ever seen. Well, they are. It's a
0: record-breaking low supply, yeah.
1: Yeah, and, and we, also, we also saw in the last uh, few weeks that food and drink exports uh, to the EU from the UK were down £2 billion wow. in the first quarter of 2021. Yeah. A few more stats for you. I've talked about the 90,000 lorry driver vacancies currently going in the UK. Wow. We've seen the likes of uh, Tesco and (laughs) other... Don't
0: worry, Colin. We'll start teaching the toddlers how to drive now, and in 18 (laughs) years, they will have fully licensed HGV drivers to replace them. Well, I mean, at this rate,
1: yes, we're going to have to get that. But we have had the likes of Tesco and other big brands offering uh, financial incentives of up to a grand for people who sign up and become a long-haul
0: driver. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. We'll give you an iPhone. We'll give you one little bonus now if you take on a job you don't want for the rest of your life.
1: Hey, it's like when it's like when you joined a, a bank when you were first like thirteen or fourteen. And <laughs> yeah, it was like, hey, yeah, if yeah. you open an account with us, you get a nice digital camera or a football
0: <laughs> or, the, Esen- or like, essentially that yeah it, yeah, it is and it, it, you see it a lot in in the u k you see it a lot in the u s of like just bribes to to recruit you. So they can then make um, much more money off of your labor than that bribe was ever worth. And that's what this is. And granted, it's kind of needed. (laughs) And granted, I prefer bribing people to be recruited over other ideas like prison populations being put to labor, which I'm seeing floated in the UK, which is awful and is only a thing we see in really backwards countries, once again, like the United States of America, um there are not really any solutions to the problem except undoing brexit okay. and i do see a lot of brexit apologists saying like well every country's struggling with supply but yeah not every country is struggling as much as we yeah. are because we've got the double effect of covid and brexit there aren't there aren't similar stag I mean, there are in like i think south africa's got legitimate troubles but you know they've got a massive big uprising going on and stuff like that um But there is not comparable. We are not compared to the EU now because we have the double hit. Our supermarkets are struggling. Uh Our restaurants are struggling. So many industries are struggling. I don't want any more Brexit apologists saying that it's all because of COVID. We, We also had, in the
1: last week, some bars and pubs in Scotland warning that they were on the, the verge of running out of beer ah. and also on the the verge of running out of CO2, which is used to, to pull the pints. Ah. Uh, we've also had, we're going to add some more stats to you here, an announcement of the, uh, the amount of vacancies in poultry processing and fruit picking yeah. hitting 7,000 because that was usually done by Poles and Romanians, who this year have stayed at home. And we have also had uh, the boss of Iceland, that's the supermarket, not the country, uh, saying that the supply chain chaos will get worse due to the return of schools in England, which of course are still on holiday, mm-hmm. and uh, that the run up to the Christmas period, they're expecting to see severe shelf shortage. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, food on shelves rather than being short of shelves themselves.
0: (laughs) We're going to run out of supermarket shelves. But of course, we're going to stack all of the food that we definitely have.
1: We've also had the the boss of Tesco, Josh Allen, telling people not to over dramatise and
0: panic buy. But of course, as soon as you say that, people go out and do exactly that. Yeah. Although I will say, don't panic buy. But when we are Planning the next few months of our lives to be dealing with shelf shortages and stuff like that. Maybe, like, keep a running basket in your online delivery of whatever you might need. And, you know, if you start seeing things disappear, press press the purchase button. Okay. Even if you won't need it for another month or two, you know, that's okay. It's all right to plan ahead. Don't panic buy. But you can, like, plan. Start working ahead so you're buying for the future. Exactly. Rather than buying for all of eternity by you know shopping for the all of the aisle of toilet paper
1: so, Logistics UK, which represents freight firms across uh, Britain and the uh, British Retail Consortium, have written to the government and to uh, the business secretary, quasi-quarting, saying that this again is going to get worse. Yeah. They want to introduce temporary work visas to uh, EU drivers, which, uh, because of Brexit, the government have been shut that one down. Scrapped, yeah. And uh, this shortfall is made up of at least 30,000 drivers who would have been working in the UK and were
0: up until until December 31st yeah. last year. But I can, I can see why nobody wants to drive here because it takes longer to get in and out. Why would you want yeah, to yeah. take longer to do a delivery and then get back to your original spot when you can just do other work instead? I wouldn't want to get stuck in the UK for I don't know how long trying to leave yep. again after, after driving. Again, aside from Brexit, the only thing we can do for all of these industries is pay a competitive wage we got to pay more for the deliveries, pay more for the pickers, pay more for the people in the factories, and people will hate that too. Right, so you're right in that this is the only silver lining. I believe
1: it was an interview I heard on uh, Radio Scotland yesterday who said, finally, it looks like lorry drivers might be getting paid what they should have been being paid yeah. for the last several years for the insane amount of hours they do, their mental sleep schedules, and the fact that they at some in some parts of uh or at some routes I should say, going from the UK to the depths of Europe are away for up to like 10 or 11 days at a time. So Absolutely. get People getting paid more. I think I saw an article this week which said part of the reason for all these uh, vacancies across many industries is that workers have decided they would like to get paid a bit more. <laughs> it just makes sense. I, it's
0: mad, isn't it? It's, you're seeing in America right now where all the, there's a whole host of restaurants without any server staff or any kitchen staff because they won't pay a decent wage. And then the yeah. newspapers come out and it's like, oh, there's a there's a worker shortage. No, there is not. <laughs> there is a competitive wage shortage. You're not giving people enough money to take on your terrible jobs. <laughs> And you know what? Unionize. Everybody out there needs to be in unions. Yeah. There's like the, 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 the if you just look at graphs between like union representation in the workforce and then how good people are getting paid or the, the labor share of total um, worth of the UK and stuff like that. It is just proportional. Whenever we've got strong unions, the people who are working make more fair amounts of the money. Whenever we've got weak unions or no unions, which we're kind of leaning towards now, right. there's no competitive wages and we're relying on all sorts of unsustainable practices.
1: So, so one final uh, piece of information here just to explain the legislation. When the UK was part of the European single market, drivers used to be able to come and go as they pleased yeah. regardless of where they were from in Europe. Yeah. But because of Brexit and now this all all this additional border bureaucracy and visas and all sorts, it's now meant it's too much hassle for oh well, thirty thousand of them to drive in and out of the country because yeah. they're paid by the mile or kilometer rather than by the hour. Exactly. So delays yeah. are costing them money. It's hitting them in the in the wallet. And a couple more um, brands I've been reading about. Haribo are currently struggling to deliver to the UK <laughs> because of the shortage. BP have uh, closed a handful of its UK sites because they're unable to get petrol and diesel to them. And as you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, prisoners across the UK are going to help plug this wor- this worker shortage in the meat industry uh, because of this warning of shortfalls up and until you know Christmas. What?
0: They better get paid a full wage. They better be volunteering for the work, and they better be getting paid exactly the same as they would be if they were just taking the job outside of the prison. Well,
1: let me ask, James. Realistically... How is this going to be solved? Because this is clearly, from everyone Colin. in the industry who's talking about this, it's going to cause problems across the UK. So realistically, what's the solution? It's going
0: to be the Tory magic money tree. And don't,
1: and don't say undo Brexit.
0: The thing that they accuse every single person of left-leaning beliefs that, to to be uh, uh, reliant on they're just going to pretend that they don't need to raise taxes, and they're they going to pretend that they don't need to tax the rich, and they're going to pretend that they don't need to tax corporations, and instead, they will just carry on spending money to solve problems which they pretend they don't do and increasing our deficit as a nation and increasing our debts as individuals yeah. and then they will they'll they'll keep doing that until they get voted out of power and then they'll blame the next government for trying to solve all the problems they caused. Okay, a couple more stories briefly
1: before we talk about entertainment matters. Let's speak about OnlyFans who announced this week's uh, announced this week that it's going to delay the proposed changes to its policy on content creation. And- after a massive backlash by its users. So if you're new to this, this is the uh, the content subscription service, which people will sell explicit photos or videos on. And uh, people will well, pay technically money every you month. You can
0: have an OnlyFans for anything, but you, well, you can. But the majority of people. We know what it was mostly used for, yes.
1: Right, right. Majority of people using it for that. And uh, last week, they announced uh, a new policy, which was essentially banning everything other than uh, nude photos which were uh, uh, far from sexual. Well, they just yeah. were well, not, nude and that was it.
0: Not quite. It was non-explicit. So it was think like you're not allowed to do... Th- right. I-, I wasn't 100% sure because they weren't too clear. And I don't really want to S- just right, say so the I- list out loud, but you were allowed to still do quite a lot. So I read
1: it, but there were certain things, which again, yep, I'm not going to read it. You can look it up yourself if you really want to. There were certain things that, let's say, people I know, a couple of people who do use OnlyFans, they would essentially shut down their page. They would have been unable to post the things that they were going to because this new statement or this new policy was going to ban them from doing it. So after five days of backlash and people saying, oh, what on earth is this all about? You've just done a Tumblr. They have done a U-turn. And they've said, actually, it's okay. We've come to a, an agreement with our bankers. They were blaming the banks or the money processing people for these proposed changes. Which
0: is, which is fair. Which is fair.
1: And uh, said, actually, we're going to go, um, we're going to keep things the way they are.
0: Yeah. And we'll revisit it later. Well, yeah, they they, they shelved the plan. They didn't actually cancel the plan. They've suspended the plan to remove all of that content from their site.
1: So just give me your take on this, because I think from the communications point of view, which is a bit more dry... This has been really badly handled, but also there have been a lot of opinions about uh, yeah. OnlyFans and the people who do make money on that site over the last few days uh, spouted onto social media.
0: Well, for starters, never rely on one platform for your income. This is the lesson that I'm assu- I'm assuming a lot of people have learned again at this point. Uh-huh. Uh Having diverse income as a self-employed uh, individual is... Very good and commendable. So if you are now feeling like, hey, I can just rely on OnlyFans again, don't diversify. Maybe start your own little website. I don't know. Yeah. Anything. There are a few elements to why all the OnlyFans folks made this decision. I am absolutely sure the finance element of it is true because you've seen um, banks pull out of supporting, lol, pull out of, no, I said it twice. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> we've seen with, banks removing them with, with yeah that's that's even though that's a better pun as well um <laughs> we've seen banks withdraw themselves from interactions with sites like Pornhub and stuff like that uh, It was a big reason why Tumblr had to go down was because of pressure from not just banks but from um just the law if they're not vetting what's on their platform and only finds it has that same problem. they can't vet what's on the platform uh the kinds of transactions that are happening are the most likely to be uh, reversed, which is costly. Um, so I, I'm sure they had legitimate reasons to try and make the decision. But there's the two angles, for, in well, my opinion, as to, as to why they did it in this way. And the first one, and maybe why they communicated it so poorly, is that they were trying to cause an uproar so that all of their investors and all the people who are making money off of them, including the banks, uh, would realize that it's not a good move. Okay. And that they actually do have the power of the people behind them and that nobody's going to make money by by doing this. So maybe the folks at OnlyFans had their big uh, five head on and they decided to put all of their brain power to this scheme to show everybody that this will not make money for any of us. So we better just find the best way to make money. And the other way is that they just uh, had a panic because they were getting sued around, like, around the corner or because the banks were going to like stop uh, interfacing with them tomorrow and they had to immediately make an announcement and therefore the announcement was really poorly made. Um uh, but the u-turn isn't surprising either because we saw what happened to Tumblr we've seen the decrease in revenue from sites like Pornhub who've have, who've have had to have everything be verified manually and all of this stuff yeah, and yeah. only allow certain elements of content and i am i am pretty sure only fans will have to um improve their verification system, try and put in new measures to make sure that there isn't uh, exploitative content and there isn't anything uh, illegal going on um, to keep this on, which is why they're only shelving the plan. I'm, I'm thinking that they've been told that they have to make more concrete and solidify their, uh, their platform. Um, but there was no way they were going to survive because what they were going to try and do was basically become a Patreon-esque website. Which Patreon went through the same process. They used to have explicit content; and they banned it in the past. But Patreon only takes five percent of your profits, and only fans take twenty. So they were never going to compete. So it would have been the end of the business. So the U-turn is not a surprise.
1: OK, one last story before we talk entertainment. And this is the news that our over half a million young people in Scotland can now get dental care free of charge. This is after yeah. the Scottish government uh, announced more cash to help the sector recover from the impact of the pandemic. So dentists are set to receive an extra 7.5 million pounds of funding, and uh, they'll be using government cash to buy new drills, which don't generate as much aerosol, uh, reducing the risk yeah. of spreading COVID. James, I had a very mm-hmm. personal chat with a dentist this week, no. who was very unhappy about this. Ah, I'll get your 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 thoughts on the the bigger picture in a second. But my dentist, who is a lovely lady called Louise, uh, said that the, the entire sector needs essentially a revamp because at the moment, yeah. in the in times past, the uh, she would have seen between thirty and forty patients a day. Because of the current protocols around dealing with COVID, she's seeing between 10 and 12 a day. Yeah. And she is only allowed in three days a week. Yeah. Uh, because they need to have a certain amount of uh, space between the d- dentists who are in the surgery. And of course, this is now leading to a massive backlog, as people over the last 18 months who missed out on treatment are having to to book in advance, essentially. So I uh, have my next appointment, which is to get some fillings replaced. And mm-hmm. the soonest appointment she had, or the nearest one she had, was the end of November. Yeah, We're currently in August. Yeah. And she said that uh, her surgery in particular, three of their dental nurses have gone home Back to uh, to Europe because they had uh, come here to work. Ah. Pay is better. They could then send it back. And so they are also facing a, a big shortage. But the main issue is, and this is her words, not mine, Dentists are viewed less sympathetically by the public yeah. because they're seen as well-paid and like a almost an elite level of the NHS. So yeah. that's why there hasn't been any real media outcry from dentists about this. She said they were told about this uh, under 26 getting free treatment on Friday at five o'clock without any consultation. Oh dear! And uh, they're they're just having to deal with it because the public don't really care. The dentists are having a rough time because at the end of the day, they get paid well.
0: So yeah, it doesn't so matter. They're fine. Uh, and no, I, I do sympathize with that. I do feel like when these when these changes are made on a national level, you should at least be giving the, uh, the affected people a bit more of a heads up. Right, right. Um, and you should at least be giving them more support. I do think, though, that dental care should fall under just free for everybody. And I think that's the direction Scotland wants to go for this. I think it is a vital part of uh, healthcare and it surprises me all the time that it isn't really free. Even the stuff that is under the NHS um, is still not free. Yep. Um, and I think that that kind of nebulous place that dentists find themselves in where they are, mm, nebulous. much like GPs, um, kind of a private business who do nhs contracts puts them into this place where the public don't really get a grasp of what the business is like to run and therefore we don't have much sympathy for them because we just don't know how they work um uh, it it does feel like they are one of the more well-off businesses because that's kind of the paint the picture that's painted for us um i'm i'm though I am fully in support of expanding the the availability of free dental care. I think it should be free for everybody. I think it needs to be uh, well funded. And like with most things that are government funded, there's this uh, talk back of like, it's money that we're never going to see back and it's uh, bad investment and all of this stuff, but it's not an, it's not an investment. We got to st- stop talking about things like Vital elements of keeping our society healthy as though it's an investment. Right. Because it isn't. It's just something that we do. We don't call the army an investment, right? (laughs) I don't see anybody complaining that we spend so much money on the military and don't get any of it back. Um, but when we look at things like dentistry and healthcare, we actually do get that money back because people get to live better lives and make more money and therefore pay more taxes, <laughs> right? So there are things that are way worse to spend money on than the health of your populace if you want to have a thriving economy. Um, but yeah, the dentists probably need more support. They probably need more consulting um, from the government in this instance. I wouldn't be surprised by that. I mean, it's the SMP. They kind of just, they're a wee bit lazy with a lot of the things they do. You know what isn't in the run order? The SNP and the Greens have agreed a greater power sharing
1: plan. They have indeed. Yeah, that was, uh, it's being signed off today, the actually.
0: extremists, the Green extremists. I know. Have power.
1: So it's uh, <laughs> for the first time in British history, the Greens are now yeah. in power, or they have some power. So this is essentially a coalition in everything but name. Yeah. The uh, agreement, which is going before the Green, the Scottish Green uh, membership later today, it has to be mm-hmm. uh, agreed by a majority before it happens. Happens, would see the uh, co-conveners Patrick Harvey and Lorna Slater take ministerial positions. That is uh, is also a first, yeah. and this is uh, this is seen essentially as a way that the government can shore up their own votes. However. As I say, it's a coalition and everything but name because there are at least a couple of issues yes. which the Greens will be allowed to vote against the government. So I believe little things like uh, the dueling of the A9 and the A96, these roads up in the north and northeast, which are in desperate need uh, of yeah. uh, modernization, which the Greens
0: are against what the s would like to do. So things like that, yeah, there I, will still be some differences. I'm not on team Greens of that one. Those roads need, uh, need to be uh, made safer. Yep. And the only way to do, do that is... The, is the planned dueling. So what's your, what's your thoughts on this then? I mean, I think it's pretty great. I think the Greens are, f- by and large, a party that have platformed many good things and have actually made for good changes both in Scotland and the UK, even though they've had very limited power, because opposition parties do actually get to do stuff, which is, we're not taught and people seem to not believe. And I think that this gives them more, even more legitimacy and even more of a platform and it should help them get more votes in the future. But again, both in Scotland and nationwide because they've got this new legitimacy with them. And I think it's about time that we had um, more agreements made by the parties in power to represent more ideas and give more strength to their own. Um, as I said, I'm by and large I'm a fan of the Greens. I think they do have the occasional um, and it's far more rare than a good text. So the, the occasional thing that they're arguing for or against, it just doesn't make much sense to me. Um, okay, just just at
1: this point, sorry, I, I realise you said earlier in the segment that uh, these were extremists. I've only just realised now why. <laughs> this was the Scottish Conservatives' Myrtle Fraser, who's always there to give an insane yeah. quote.
0: Yeah, <laughs> this, wasn't, this wasn't like the, the media. This wasn't <laughs> the Daily Mail or something. Yes, he's accused
1: um, Nicola Sturgeon of appointing and I'm quoting him here, extremists. Yeah. This is the Scottish Green Party. He
0: called it an, anti, an anti-family an move, amongst other anti-somethings. He's implying it's anti-family. It's the classic uh, conservative lines that are just completely made-up labels for people to try and antagonize their them and their base so that you know people who hate them will vote for the Tories instead.
1: But it's also the fact that you're using the word extremists so flippantly that you are completely belittling the fact there are actual extremists, which we are seeing being played out in the news literally right now. It's it's a a terrible use of the word, and he said that neither Mr. Harvey or Ms. Slater should be anywhere near key financial decisions impacting jobs and business, and that their growing influence is
0: Dangerous, yeah, but you know what? This is
1: the Scottish Green Party, everybody. Yeah,
0: it's the madness of the Scottish Conservatives. They, 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 they keep sinking to new lows to try and make their voter base angry and loyal, and they will continue to do it. Um, but yeah, no, I chose that word because because it, it, I I read it and I thought. Well, that's just like a headline or something. It's just like the, but it, the papers. The papers who are anti-green because, of course, the papers are anti-green. Uh, but it, it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> this, was, this was a political member. But once again, I—I I mean, it's the way that
1: the uh, the media works in that because they are predominantly right-wing. Even though we've had this mental climate change report, everyone's still like, "No, what? No, we don't like the Greens at all. Let the planet burn."
0: Yeah. And it turned, like, the Greens have been saying things that have turned out to be true about the world <laughs> yeah. and about the nation. And none of that's going to their credit. It's just completely ignored because it's better to be angry at them so that you get the voter base of people who feel it's inconvenient to try and like tackle climate change and to tackle uh, inequality and things like that.
1: How dare the Greens be opposed to this new oil field in Shetland, which is going to dig up 800 million barrels of oil and gas,
0: how dare they (laughs) attempt to save this planet? Whereas we're sitting on Orkney, who have... I watched a video by Tom Scott this week, which is why I know this off the top of my head. Oh, nice. Orkney, who have a, a, a renewable energy surplus that they can't get to the British mainland because there isn't the right size of cable. <laughs> and instead of investing in that cable, we've made a promise to Great. if they will if they will in themselves commit to even more green energy. It's like, no, just like give them the cable. They will commit to more. Uh, invest in green stuff now. And, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it is a melting my head that we as Scotland, and especially in places where there is already a renewable surplus, are not taking advantage of of every little facet we can, because we've we've got such a good setup for so many renewables. We just invest in it now, so we can start exporting that stuff. Because power is a is a, is a commodity. Like I, I mean, electricity power is has got too many meanings. <laughs>
1: Okay, James, let's finish up. Let's talk entertainment. And what we've been watching this week, we've got a couple of Marvel trailers, uh, brand new ones, which have hit uh, the internet this week. Uh, James, I've got two movies. I believe you have a TV show. I do. Which of my movies would you like to hear about first? We have The Suicide Squad and we have Free Guy, which is Ryan Reynolds' new movie. I think, I think I want to hear Free Guy. Oh, it's interesting. I was uh, I had my Suicide Squad review loaded up, but here we go. Free Guy. Wrecked you. So this is a uh, new movie from Ryan Reynolds. It's out in cinemas for six weeks, and then it goes onto streaming platforms, which most people suggest is going to be the new way things go. It's uh, directed by Sean Levy, who is best known for directing the Night at the Museum franchise, but he's also the producer of Stranger Things, which was news to me. This movie... Uh, It stars Ryan Reynolds as a non-player character, an NPC Mm -hmm. who doesn't realise he's in a video game. And it's his attempts to then save his friends from Mm -hmm. the game's manic creator, who is Taika Waititi. Uh, This also has... Jodie Jody Comer from Killing Eve as the uh, the lead female. Lil Rev Howery, who's been in everything. And Joe Keery, who is Stranger Things. I want to see Steve Harrington in, in Stranger Things. Yeah. He's great. And uh, this movie has a bunch of high-profile celeb and Twitch and YouTube cameos because it's about video games. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are so many in this film. I lost count. And there was three in the voice cast that I saw in the credits and thought, I missed the fact that Dwayne Johnson had a cameo <laughs> in this, but Hugh Jackman was in it. Mental. Anyway, all right. The highest compliment I can give this movie is it is like the Truman Show. Okay. And Ryan Reynolds is basically modern-day Jim Carrey. Okay. So, and that is a that is a compliment is because this film is sweet. It's at times emotional. All right. The performances are universally great. You know, they they are all firing in all cylinders. It's not ones that people have phoned in. You know, they're really trying here. Nice. It is a fun film. It is funny. There's maybe two or three times I laughed out loud, so it's not a a 22 Jump Street knock out the park, but it's a lot of fun. Right. You know, it's lots of smiles, lots of, lots of grins, as opposed to belly laughter. F- feeling good. And it's a mashup of pop culture references, the Lego movie, and Grand Theft Auto all apparently rolled into one. Uh-huh, and uh, uh-huh. this week... Apparently, Disney want more. They're looking to make this into a, a oh. franchise.
0: So they're going to go for The Free Guy, and then they're going to go for Three Guy. <laughs> three. I mean, that is undoubtedly going to be the, uh, the sequel title. But this movie is... I really liked it. I was really surprised as to how much I liked it. All right. No, I, I, I'm surprised too. I thought it was going to be kind of mediocre because it took so long to come out. Uh, and also,
1: I mentioned the cameos. There's a couple... One of which um, I won't spoil it because it is really enjoyable going into it and uh, it happening unexpectedly. One cameo made me laugh out loud because I thought, how on earth did you manage to do that? So it's it's worth it for the cameo if you're a, if you're a nerd like me. but All right. Ryan Reynolds, honestly, he is beginning to chisel his way. Into leading man territory. And Deadpool obviously plays a big part in that. But also, we saw with Pokemon Go, or sorry, Detective Pokemon Go, Detective Pikachu. (laughs) My bad. Detective Pikachu, the strength of box office was basically
0: on the fact that he was Pikachu. Yeah yeah his name is actually profitable now for sure and
1: that's that to me is really interesting because he is the most generic looking man <laughs> you could uh, you could possibly come up with you know the older he
0: gets he's he, i mean he looks he's generic handsome he
1: looks great, but he is literally a like a creator character on a video game
0: yeah yeah he's he's a little bit too handsome in a normal way he doesn't have to, he doesn't have like the one odd feature that makes him indeed really right. handsome like uh like an eye that's slightly lower down than the other one.
1: But this is why I believe he is such a good fit in this movie. He also produced it, so that helps. <laughs> yeah,
0: he does look like an NPC.
1: <laughs> but he's literally an NPC. He's a background character in a video game. <laughs> yeah. And it's all the, it's the little touches. Th- be quiet, yeah. It's the little touches this film has, which does make it feel feel like a game you would want to play. Right. Because it's got the little, the characters who say, who say the same soundbite over and over again. The same uh, minor details that everyone who's ever played
0: yeah, yeah, a yeah. big
1: open world video game will recognise as, oh yeah, okay, that looks familiar. Nice.
0: So if you're looking for, Ugh, no, I thought this was going to be so mediocre. I'm glad to hear this, I and mean, I want to see like,
1: it. Genuinely, if you find yourself at a loose end over the the coming winter months, chuck it on. I think you'll have a really good time. But brain off. Yeah, I mean, it's for the most It's part. a video. It's a game yeah. based on a video. Uh, a player who becomes sentient in a video game. So, yeah, yeah not, not really yeah. one for uh, for the brain, I, I, but
0: I, it's just a lot of fun. I, I did find the the marketing efforts for the film very interesting too because they were pulling in Deadpool to market it and they pulled in Do you know why? Um, Korg to market it a wee bit.
1: Because Disney bought the rights... To the film,
0: yeah. After
1: it finished oh, uh, production, whilst it was ready to go,
0: they came on late.
1: Absolutely. So, for example, what a couple of these oh. um, cameos, a couple of the moments in the final act are only possible because Disney own now own the movie, right? And so, all the things the game wanted to do but would have had to license it from Disney, they can now do because. Uh, House I get, of Mouse yeah, I get it. have it under their banner. So similarly, I was very surprised yeah, to see um, a YouTube video of Deadpool and Korg from the Marvel franchise, which is Taika Waititi, yeah. reacting of to a Free Guy trailer. But the reason is it's because Disney bought the
0: movie and clearly are now looking to franchise it. Okay, that makes... That makes... That makes so much sense, considering how the marketing worked for the film, because that stuff came out of nowhere, and then it suddenly totally did. they were putting in so much, so much effort, and it did buy into the to the Reynolds effort. That's how he's done marketing before for loads of different things. So it's the thing is, collab. I do really,
1: I do really appreciate the efforts that Ryan Reynolds puts into most of his products, whether it's the aviation gin, <laughs> the ads of which I do really enjoy. Yeah, his ongoing feud with Hugh Jackman which is never ending and I'm sure will yeah. culminate eventually in some sort of movie appearance as well as little things like how they've promoted free guy but I agree the reason it came out of nowhere is because I believe Disney realized hey we've got something here this is absolutely a new IP so yeah check it out all right okay James what have uh what have you finished this week I finished watching the bad batch oh okay tell me about uh, the Brady Bunch <laughs>
0: Yeah, uh, so the Brady Bunch is the <laughs> kind of follow-up show to the Clone Wars, Star Wars IP. Okay. So animated, same style of animation, but the perfected side of it, so late Clone Wars, right. where they've like, actually legitimately figured out how to do their 3D models, how to animate it, how to light it, how to use good directing methods to, to make scenes interesting. Um, and they're following the story of a clone unit that was established in the original series um, and their follow-up story after the the end of that series. So the series ends, the original Clone Wars series ends at the same time as the prequel films do around about that moment. Okay. So this is like a little bit of a pickup from that, finishing a few plot lines and stuff like that. And I'm not surprised at how good it was. It was exactly what I expected it to be. I had my fingers crossed that it would meet those expectations, and it did, because it had pretty good writing. Uh, the filler episodes weren't weren't bad, and even the filler episodes had like really good cinematic moments that kind of melted my brain as to how well they executed it for an animated series, an, anim- an animated TV series especially. Um, they had good characters, good plot lines, a little bit of development where it mattered, a sympathetic um Uh, a sympathetic villain which is always a winner yep just overall so many aspects of the show were what you would expect if you were already a fan of something like the clone wars especially the good arcs of the clone wars and the later series where they had this much more refined uh, style and i'm i'm trying not to exaggerate here some of the shots that they chose um and it's it always feels weird saying shots when it's a animated thing but some of the shots they chose yeah and the framing and the lighting it was it was really good it was like chills good i i was i was constantly surprised at as to how high the standard they were hitting with certain things was and yes it's still a, a tv series for like the youth for the younger people Uh, teens and whatnot so it's got all the expected weaknesses and it holds back on on certain elements of character and stuff like that but then it's also got all the charm you expect from those stories and it's got the uh, kind of semi-obvious ways to relate with the characters so you don't have to pay huge amounts of attention so it's just an enjoyable watch and they use all the classic tunes when they needed to they use all the classic references when they needed to they're pulling in characters that people love nice they're pulling in new characters they're pulling in characters that have been introduced in other new shows recently to try and give them a bit of history and it was just really intelligently done in, in general just a question
1: about that introducing characters from other shows perhaps newer ones do you feel that's cheap because they're doing it for almost like an audience reaction. You'll get people talking on social media. Oh, I can't believe so-and-so just popped up in that episode. Or do you believe it's absolutely necessary for uh, the story or kind of the wider franchise?
0: No, I don't think it's necessary and I don't think it's cheap, but I think it just provides a little bit of validity to the character. So for ex- I'll use the, ex- the explicit example. They bring in one of the bounty hunters that you meet in The Mandalorian. Uh, okay. And they give them a little chunk of this show which is set before the mandalorian by a long way so it actually provides a little bit more of a concrete existence for this character in the universe that they can then when the character is in future seasons of the mandalorian or in other shows um there are so many more touchstones for different people who might not have seen specific shows or um, or who just really like to have canon and lore and st- established characters and passing of baton from generation to generation and stuff like that. So it is cool. And yeah, there is elements of a little bit of uh, cheap, cheapness to it when they do it because it can feel like token just fan service. But I find that with Star Wars, the TV series feel a lot less like fan service than the films do. Right, right. The films doing this, it always feels like it's just marketing. Te- selling toys, inventing characters that, you know, you just want to make a bunch of marketing pro- uh, product product off and then sell it and whatnot. Okay. Whereas in the TV shows, Mandalorian, Bad Batch, even Clone Wars and stuff like that, it just felt like a part of the story because they've got more time to have characters bounce between different planet systems and all those things to establish why they are meeting so many characters and all of that. So I'm looking forward to seeing where they go next because, hey, the the story didn't finish. They left it with a future, and I, I'm looking forward to seeing more of this uh, this group. Um, the voice acting is, was was really cool because uh, the clones are all supposed to be, you know, clones. One person, so it's nice to find the different ways that that, that they're all distinct from each other. Uh huh. Um, and I'm just excited to see what they do with this uh, element of their IP because I'm enjoying the Star Wars TV stuff so much more than the films. Interesting. Um, even the good films. Even the even the like. Uh, rogue ones and stuff like that.
1: Okay, well, time is running out, so I'm going to keep this short. This is my review of this Suicide Squad, which, after years of discussion on this show, I have finally gone to see. So, the review. it's di- I know should really have a drum roll here. So, it's directed by James Gunn, who's best known for his Guardians of the Galaxy movies and for getting cancelled. Oh yeah, for getting cancelled and then uncancelled. Unbelievable cast, headlined by Idris Elba playing Deadshot, Viola Davis, Margot. Robbie, of course, is Harley Quinn. Mm-hmm. John mm-hmm. Cena as Pacemaker. Sorry,
0: Pacemaker? Peacemaker. <laughs> pacemaker
1: would be a very different kind of superhero.
0: That's a, he'd be a villain for sure.
1: Uh, Joel Kinnaman as Rick Flagg, and then we have the likes of Alice Braga. Peter Capaldi yeah. as The Thinker. Uh, David Dastalmakian, who plays Polkadot Man, whose inclusion was because James Gunn thought he was the stupidest <laughs> superhero ever, as well as... Uh, Pete Davidson, Michael Rooker, who is uh, phenomenal, also from Guardians of the Galaxy, and Sylvester Stallone, voice acting as King Shark. And uh, and even so, more characters. Oh, there, there are so many characters in this movie. It's unbelievable. Nathan Fillion's in it. I love that guy. Nathan Fillion is, uh, the, is TDK, who is the detachable kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So let me just say, the opening five minutes of this movie uh-huh. are better than the entire original film. Great. I'm glad. It's it sets the tone so nicely, and Michael Rooker, who who plays the essentially the lead in the opening uh, few minutes, and you see him now and again. He is he, he gives the movie such a great beginning, mm-hmm. and the supporting cast as well, absolutely phenomenal. So this movie is the storytelling and the way that, for example, I'll, I'll share how uh, perhaps some other movies do it and also i'm going to stay away from spoilers cuz i was requested to by uh, by murray yeah other films will like take you to locations by putting a massive block capitals miami across Which the
0: screen the first suicide squad did or it will
1: be you know 9 months later in yeah. giant white letters yeah the way that the suicide squad does it because it does chop and change between different time periods right and uh, different moments of, of where people are it's really uniquely done and uh, visually striking, so for example, uh, branches spelling out a word, or perhaps seaweed, which is rustling along the shore, okay. coming together to form, yep. you know, meanwhile, or five five minutes you earlier. You see that
0: a lot in video games, actually. So
1: it's little things like that, which, which work really nicely, and you think, oh, that was clever. So... The the way it does that, the way the film is structured, I thought was really interesting. I do have to say, though, it is incredibly gory and graphic from the very start. <laughs> and yeah. what I liked about this, and I'll I'll compare this to Rogue One, because what I liked and what we enjoyed and what audiences enjoyed so much about Rogue One was that there were characters who you cared about, mm-hmm. whose deaths then meant
0: something. Yeah, they're, they're and of expendable course, but invested. In.
1: This film is called The Suicide Squad for a reason. Yeah. So as the first poster did say, don't get too attached to these characters. But I tell you, you might say get detached. it's such a compliment to the storytelling that when these characters die, and many of them do, and that is mm-hmm. free of spoilers because this is the whole point of the film. We all knew that. You do actually feel... Particularly with a couple of them, like oh man, no, Aww. why? Oh, why? So Aww. that to me, that to me was a a really impressive feat, considering the uh, the tone of this film. Right. It's the different, and do you know what it is? It's the differences in how deaths were handled in this movie compared to Suicide Squad, because of course these are two very different films right. with some of the same characters. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, great performances. It does not take itself too seriously. And there are more genuine laugh-out-loud moments in this film than there were in Free Guy. So that... Oh, uh, that's a good sign. It's a lot of fun. And look, both both movies this week I would recommend wow. to anyone. You know what? As long as you like that
0: kind of stuff. And y- you were going into this not expecting much, so that's high praise. Well,
1: I, I had heard a few good things. Yeah. And... I was I was really surprised but also pleased yeah. as to how it was done. Even little things like Harley Quinn's character, even her like the dialogue is so much better this time from her, her storytelling her, or, the, or sorry, the arc that she's involved in. Right. Yeah. So much better. And of course there are some fantastical elements and also uh, even little things like Viola Davis in the original Suicide Squad just for no reason kills all her team. Yeah. Who are also not named, don't have any lines. Yeah. Whereas this time, she has a team, they have names, they have lines, and as the movie progresses, they've got their own little storyline going on too.
0: Nice. That's what you want. Yeah. I like that.
1: Precisely. And it's the fact that, and James Gunn has a huge, it's his movie, and that's really clear, but he's taken what worked in Guardians of the Galaxy, a ragtag bunch of people, yeah. And has found the best way of them all bouncing off each other. So I would yeah. fully expect this. I don't think it's done terrifically
0: well at the box office, but that was expected. I mean, nothing will right now, yeah. It
1: may well get a sequel.
0: And honestly, if it's like that one, then great. I would... I would. But you, know, you know what? You know what? Come back for more. Don't get James Gunn to do it, because I don't want another Guardians of the Galaxy 2 situation. Okay. He's very good at establishing characters. He's right. not very good at continuing them.
1: I still stand by the fact that the end of the second Guardians film is one of my favorite endings of any of any Marvel film. True, it does end well, yeah. Right, yeah. anyway, we are running out of time. We talked about Marvel, two trailers. Let's start with the first trailer, a teaser, for Spider-Man No Way Home. Ah. So, Peter. What do I owe the pleasure?
0: I'm sorry to bother you, sir.
1: Please, we saved half the universe together. I think we're beyond you
0: calling me, sir. Okay, Steven. That feels weird, but I'll allow it. When Mysterio revealed my identity, my entire life got screwed up. I was wondering if maybe you could make it so that he never did.
1: Strange. Don't cast that spell. It's too dangerous. Fine, I won't. Uh, James, I have thoughts on this. What did you think? Looks like a Spider-Man film. That's about it. I have real problems with the amount they gave away in the trailer. Because I think... Now you see... Hold on, hold on. For a teaser,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah I this were...
1: felt like a, like a full trailer, not a teaser. Teasers are meant to tease things. They're not meant to show you the plot. Mm. And look, they could have done... Mm. <sighs> I appreciate the fact that they've included some old-school Spidey villains. That was a nice moment. They needed to do that, I think. But I believe the entire trailer is something like 2 minutes 50 long. Yeah. Way too long for a teaser. And so I thought it was too much. Oh, yeah. It's not a teaser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was way too much, and they could have uh, given us a
0: far-reduced version while still including a nice little callback. I mean, but this might not have been the teaser trailer. This might have been the trailer trailer, (laughs) and then it got leaked, so then they had to kind of like... This is the teaser. Here it is now, right now, before you've all... You, I know you all saw it because it got leaked, but here it is. Um, so it might have been, like, t- trailer two that wasn't yet finished or something like that. So it's hard to tell, really. Okay. I, I th- th- There is part of me that believes they've kind of shown too much of the film, but there's the other part that I think maybe they've only shown stuff from act one. Okay. There might not be a single scene in the trailer that is in act two or act three um and i'm I'm okay with most of the things they revealed because we knew it already, and um, because they told us who got cast in the film, right basically right right but but they gave away certain things that I didn't think they had to it, the, how it all goes down, maybe like it was it was Stephen Strange, he was Tom Fooling, and then it all went wrong, yeah, maybe, but it depends how crucial that is for the film, and we might be seeing a thing like the suicide squad where it felt like they showed us the whole film. But people were still surprised and enjoyed so many extra things.
1: Okay, let's talk about the second trailer for this week. Another Marvel film. It's Eternals. I believe this is the final trailer before this movie arrives in November. Let's have a listen.
0: Five years ago, Thanos erased half of the population of the universe. But the people of this planet brought everyone back with a snap of a finger. The sudden return of the population provided the necessary energy for the emergence to begin. How long do we have? Seven days.
1: Okay, James, once again, yep. similarly to the Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings trailers we've been seeing over the last uh, few months, which, by the way, comes out next week in the UK. And
0: it's getting some decent reception. It
1: is. The Eternals trailers have failed to inspire any sort of interest in me whatsoever. Right. Because right. An, an impressive cast does not an anticipated movie make. Yeah. And I feel like once again, this formulaic trailer with the classic unfunny Marvel gag at the very
0: end just did not do it for me at all. Their jokes are stale. Getting worse. Getting worse over time, yeah. Just
1: like a joke about IKEA tables. I don't. You're meant to be, what, protectors of the universe. Come on. Anyway, James, what do you think?
0: I mean, yeah, no, a throwaway joke, fine. Don't put it in the trailer because it makes me feel like the whole film's going to be throwaway jokes. Anyway. Um I think I've still got the same interest I did after the first one. It feels a little bit distinct from the rest of the Marvel feel, the rest of the Marvel mood. I think in a big part due to who's filming it because there is a lot of beauty going on. There's a lot of really nice looking shots and stuff like that which have been lacking in certain other Marvel IP. Um but aside from just a little bit of distinctiveness when the way they like the Color of the characters' powers. These guys seem to be more focused around gold (laughs) than previous. Okay. I don't know what other colors are used blues and reds. There's not too much making it stand out. It it does feel like a a film that's going to be like, hey, we've got to recruit all of our friends. Oh, we recruited them. Here's the big bad guy. Oh, we beat him. Oh, no, one of our friends turns out that they betrayed us. That's internal conflict and that's really hard to deal with. Ah, we dealt with it. And then the film is done. I'm I'm not sure what the what the appeal is aside from that it's just a little bit of a, a slight different flavor of marvel uh, but I still do want to see it. I think it should be it should be good but the yeah the trailer wasn't wasn't spectacular. It wasn't too special and I don't feel like I see the the risk of the film. I don't see yep. the investment.
1: Okay, and one final piece of news as we wrap up: Anthony Mackie will officially return in Captain America four as the titular character. Mm-hmm. So it's being written by Malcolm Spellman, who co-wrote the uh, Disney TV show The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah, and uh, this will be him uh, reprising his role for. I want to say a seventh time. I believe he did six. He's done six movies since Winter Soldier. Right. And this, of course, will be the first one where he takes over the mantle from Chris Evans. So yes. this is a uh, movie currently in development. Anthony Mackie's uh, there, but that is it in terms of casting so far.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, hey, We're not surprised he got a film. I'm glad that he's getting a film that he's not just been downgraded, like, like, like Captain America hasn't just been downgraded to a TV character now, because I think yeah, yeah. passing the mantle is an important aspect of these films. Um, I do hope they, you know, update the costume quite a lot. I do hope they update what I think there's a few uh, gaps in the how on earth is a normal human doing things that previously Super Soldier Captain America could only do. Yep. And um, there's a few gaps like that that I hope the film addresses. Um, but aside from that, there's nothing much to say yet.
1: Okay, James, we're going to have to end it there because time has once again vanished from the show. Thank you so much for listening. If you're yeah. still sticking around, if you want to contribute to the show, you can do at Seesaw Parade on Twitter or send us a review and we will play it as we have done many times on this show in the past, Seesaw Parade at gmail.com. Right, James, I am off to have some porridge because I'm playing football tonight oh, and I luck. need my energy. Yeah, well done. So uh, I'm going to go enjoy that and then edit the show.
0: Nice. I'm also going to eat something, but I don't know what. Great. Enjoy your lunch. Find out next week. <laughs> okay. <All> right, bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. And
1: not goodbye to Dominic Rab. <laughs>